having seen the sacrament of baptism last week, this morning we have the sacrament of the Lord's Supper before us, and as we do so, let us set our minds upon this portion of God's Word found in Genesis chapter 12 and then Hebrews chapter 11 as we anticipate the supper to come. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and those who dishonor you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now from Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Many of you, I know, are fitness lovers. You love to work out and exercise and perhaps run, and perhaps even some of you have done long-distance runs. In fact, some of you perhaps even have done some marathons. And the question that often needs to be asked is, what keeps you going? What keeps you training? What keeps you working out? For when you are in the midst of these intense workouts or in the midst of a long run, no doubt it is difficult. Your muscles are on fire, you're out of breath, you are sweating profusely, and the easiest thing would be to quit, to just give up. Quit and all of those things would be done away with, all of those difficulties would go away. But yet, you don't. Why is that? Well, it's because there is something that you deem better, something you desire more. Perhaps it's better health, perhaps it's a better physique, perhaps it's because you want to finish the race or accomplish the goals that you've set before you. Whatever it is, you keep going. You keep running because you know that which is that which is past the finish line is far greater. Even though in the moment you don't see those things, you don't perhaps see those results, you know that if you continue on, if you continue out these workouts or continue out those, that running, you know that it's there. That truly is the Christian life, isn't it? That is what it means to walk by faith as we have been looking at in Hebrews chapter 11. We keep going. We keep walking. We keep enduring, we keep sojourning on this road that we call the Christian faith. Even though, as we have noted many times, and the scriptures note this as well, the life of faith is one that is challenging. It's difficult. And in fact, walking by faith is even more challenging than if you did not. Why? Because you battle the world and the flesh and the devil that are all against you, but yet you keep going because you know that which awaits at the end is far greater 
than any momentary afflictions. In a world where we have this mantra of buy now and pay later, the Christian life says we are willing to pay now so as to gain much more later. And that is the pattern of faith that is set before us, and that is especially what we see in the life of Abraham this morning. Abraham looked not to the things of this world, but to the things to come. And so we'll see that in three points this morning, the call of faith, the sojourn of faith, and then the fulfillments of faith. First, the call of faith. As we come back to Hebrews chapter 11, we see that we come to Abraham, whose significance cannot be overestimated. In fact, there is no figure, perhaps in the whole of Scripture, other than the Lord Jesus Christ that is greater, that plays a more significant and central role than Abraham. In fact, if you are reading through Genesis, you'll see that the first 11 chapters encompass roughly 2,000 years, and then the next 13 chapters cover the life of just one man, and that man is Abraham. That is how central he is to the faith and to the forming of the covenant that we see stretched from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Not only is Abraham the father of all Israel. He's the father of all who believe. Paul tells us this in Galatians 3, 29. Abraham is the example in the Old Testament of justification by faith. We read of this in Romans chapter 4. And not only that, he is also the example of one that has faith, demonstrates that faith by their works, James chapter 2. And so in other words, Abraham is the exemplar of the life of faith. Thereby, we should not be surprised as we come to Hebrews chapter 11, this great hall of faith that Abraham encompasses the, the, the most scripture, the, the most verses. In many ways, he is the anchor of this chapter. Even though we are not Jewish or come from Jewish descents, Yet by faith, we call Abraham our father. He is Father Abraham. And so as we come to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, we are truly coming to one of the giants of the faith. And in many ways, it might be kind of intimidating to look at the life of Abraham because our response might be, well, we are just not worthy. When we compare our lives to the life of Abraham, we think, well, we just do not measure up. And in some ways, that's appropriate, and I appreciate the fact that the author of Hebrews did not begin with Abraham, but rather started with lesser-known Abel and Enoch. Not just because those men came chronologically before Abraham, but because I think it helps us to not despair, not think that Abraham is the model of faith, and if you don't measure up to Abraham, then you don't measure up at all. But even more than that, even though we should give Abraham his proper respect and honor, we should not put him on a pedestal, nor should we enshrine him, and surely not deify him either, for 
Abraham was a man. He was flesh and bones just like us. And we must remember that Abraham was not always Abraham. What do I mean by that? Well, look at Hebrews 11, verse 8. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. He obeyed when he was called. And that calling is not something like when someone calls you and you pick up the phone. No, this calling refers to an effectual calling, a supernatural or regenerative calling. In other words, this was the calling that brought newness of life into Abraham's soul. This calling that is referred to in Hebrews 11 verse 8 is the calling of the Holy Spirit that made Abraham, at that time Abram, from going from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And Abraham needed that regenerative work. He needed the work of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he did not come forth from the womb as a God worshiper, nor did he grow up in Sunday school. No, in fact, quite the opposite. Because we know from the rest of Scripture that Abram was actually an idol worshiper. In fact, in Joshua chapter 24, we read of this as Joshua recounts the history of Israel. He says this, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Do you hear what Joshua is saying? Abraham and his fathers before him served other gods. They were religious, as all men are, but they were not religious in the one true God of heaven and earth. And we say that and we point that out to make it abundantly clear that God did not choose Abraham because he was a good guy. He did not look over the mass of humanity and say, wow, there's a good boy, I will choose him. No, Abram was a pagan. And he came from a long line of pagans. He fully worshipped idols. In other words, the father of all the faithful was one time a heathen. And was so for a very long time. In fact, we know from the rest of Scripture that the call of Abraham's life, Genesis chapter 12 that we read earlier, happened when Abraham was 75 years old. Think about that. Few of us in this room are even 75 years of age. That means Abram walked in darkness for longer than most of us have been alive. But doesn't that demonstrate the call of God that needs to take place, that supernatural call of God that needs to take place if you're at the youngest of age or at the age of 75 or even older. That this call of God is all of God. It's all of God's gracious choice. Romans chapter 3 makes this very clear. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good No, not one. And that is true for each and every 
one of us, of you and of me and even of Abraham. He needed the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit to be made alive. And we can't forget that in our own lives. What a blessing it is for that work to have taken place in us. Because before that work took place, there was no spiritual spark in us that just needed to be fanned into flame. No, that fire was dead. That fire was dead, dead, with buckets of water poured upon it. And that's the way that humanity has been ever since the time of Adam and Eve. There's no way that any one of us can start or rekindle that flame. That needs to come from above. And yet that is what the Lord is doing. That is the work that the Lord is continuing to do. He is continuing to make the dead alive in Christ. Just as he called forth Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. So Jesus is still doing the same. Those that are dead, spiritually speaking, he's saying, come forth and live. Live in the newness of life that I can provide and that I only can provide. And therefore, Abraham could have sang, and perhaps even in heaven is singing, that wonderful hymn by Charles Wesley, And Can It Be? And no doubt he could have sung with gusto that verse that said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thy eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke in the dungeon, flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose and went forth and followed thee. That was the testimony of Abraham. And that is the testimony of each and every one of us, all of us that walk by faith. For as we read in Acts chapter 7, again, when Stephen is recounting the history of Israel, he says this, the glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. You hear what he says, the the glory of God appeared to Abraham. And the glory of God is still appearing today. He is making dead men and women alive through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let us never forget that. Let us never forget what we are saved from and what we are saved to. That is the glorious calling that we speak of. And that call of Abraham should be of great encouragement to us. That if God could take someone like Abram and make him Abraham, then perhaps he can do the very same with me and with you. Listen, some of you are perhaps new in the faith. And you think, I, I, could, I could never be one of the, the giants of the faith. I could never be mighty in faith or mighty in deeds. I could never be like Abraham or I could never be like brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so who I admire so much who seemingly are walking with the Lord constantly and continually. Let me just remind you of this. The mightiest of oaks started as a dead acorn. Right? The mightiest of oaks started as a dead acorn. 
acorn. And it's never about those that are mighty in faith, but only those that they have faith in. In other words, there is only one that is mighty, and he is the Almighty. It's never about those that have faith. It's always about him who we have faith in. Even Abraham, if you were here today, would say, it's not about Abraham. It's about God. It's always about God. He's the one who brings new life, life to the believer. He's the one that allows us to live and to walk by faith. It's God from beginning to end. And if God has begun a good work in you, then he will bring it all the way to completion. He won't bring it just 50% or 75% or even 98% or 99%. No, he'll bring it all the way to the end. He'll bring it to maturity. And so we can take comfort and hope in that. You may not be in Abraham, but neither was Abraham until God did a work in him. And not only should that be an encouragement for us, but that should be an encouragement for us in evangelism as well. How many Abrahams are, are, are still walking around that God has yet to do a work in them? Because too often we look at certain people and we think, oh, they're too old or they're too gone or too stuck in their ways. I don't know. Abraham was 75 years old before the Lord got a hold of him. And look what he did. Look at what the Lord did with him. And if we could have eyes like that, if we could think, you know, Joe at work or Sally down the street or Billy in our family, they just might be an Abraham if God got a hold of them. Wow, how would that change our motivation? How would that change our our prayers for them and, and how we would work and speak to them? Because if God can do a work in you, then God can do a work in anyone. Because this call of faith is a supernatural call. It's a supernatural work of God. Don't say that God doesn't do miracles. I see a few hundred of them before me right now. And we'd, we'd be pleased if God would do much, much more. He would call many more to himself. Well, that is the call of faith. Second, we see the sojourn of faith. The call was just the beginning. That call of faith turns into the journey or the sojourn of faith for Abraham. And notice the very thing, first thing that it says about Abraham from Hebrews eleven eight that by faith Abraham obeyed. Much like last week with Noah heard and acted, we see that Abraham was called and he obeyed. That this obedience always accompanies that calling. Because what accompanies faith is repentance. That we were going in one direction and then God gets a hold of us and then we begin going in a completely opposite direction because we are now new creations. That's what Paul tells us, right? Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are now new. And that is what we see with Abraham as well. That as he is called, he is called forth to leave his past life, literally. He is physically to leave Ur, the land of the Chaldees, and go to that which God 
tells him to go. And I think he demonstrates to us, once again, the life of faith, the, the life of obedience, the life and walk of faith is a sojourn. And that obedience, that new sojourn, that way that we are to go in a new direction is not necessarily a known one. In fact, again, look back at Hebrews eleven eight. It says he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Not knowing where he was going. That is exactly what we read in Genesis chapter 12. When God calls him, he says, go forth from your country to the land that I will show you. Notice God does not say, go forth from your land to this other place that I will tell you about now. Or here, here's a map, just follow this map and it'll take you where you need to go. No, he says, go, and as you go, I will show you the way. In other words, Abraham had to walk literally by faith in the unseen, trusting God that God would show him when the time came to show him which way to go. And so he had to go and leave not knowing where he was going. Can you imagine that conversation with his wife? Sarah, we need to go. Where? I don't know. When? Now. Why? Because God told us. Men, how would that fly in your house? Although I can tell you my wife could perhaps relate calling the California girl to a strange and foreign land called the South, which some of you might call the promised land, but I don't think you can go that far. And so she can relate because of this crazy call upon her husband's life. She and Sarah might have something to talk about one day. But that's why we see in the very next verse, by faith, Sarah. Because Sarah had that same call of obedience upon her. Sarah, as Abraham's wife, also had to walk by faith. And both of them did not know what was before them before they set out. And that is the exact same truth of us. We do not know what is before us as we step out in this journey of faith, as we walk by faith. You do not know all of the things that you will endure. Just think of your life as a Christian. Think of all the trials and all of the tribulations and all of the difficulties and the sufferings. If the Lord told you that you were going to endure all of those things beforehand, would you ever even begun the journey? Most likely not. It would have been too overwhelming. If you think about Christian and Pilgrim's progress, he left the city of destruction and he was going to the celestial city. But what was in between? Well, I'll tell you what it was in between. The slew of despond, the hill of difficulty, the valley of humiliation, the castle of doubts. And it demonstrates, right, Bunyan is showing that all of these things we endure as Christians. And praise God that Christian nor we know what is before us before we set out. We would think that the cost seems to be too much and we would never leave. But we're not always called to know, are we? We're called to walk by faith, following the Lord. And the Lord gives us the promise that 
He is the light unto our feet and the lamp unto our feet, our, our path. But that light is, is not a spotlight, is it? Oftentimes we would like a lot more light to be able to see where we're going and where the Lord is taking us. But no, the Lord only provides enough light to take that very next step. And then the one after that. And then the one after that. He is always faithful to provide. And that journey is not over. Most likely for many of us, we have many more miles to go. And that may seem overwhelming to us as we don't know what we will face, but the same God that has been faithful through all of the past will be faithful still. He will faithfully see us to the end. As the saying goes, we don't know what our tomorrows hold, but we know who holds our tomorrows. And therefore, that is enough for us. That is the sojourn of faith. But third, then, we see the fulfillment of faith. What kept Abraham going? What made him leave? What allowed him to go forth, as the Lord called him to, from his country and from his kindred and from his father's house? In other words, what made him leave that which was established and comfortable and easy and go to this place that he did not know, to, to dwell in tents, to have difficulties and, and trials and sorrows. And by no means was Abraham perfect in his walk. In fact, that's what I love about the scriptures is that the scriptures are not a hagiography. It is not this, this pouring out of all the perfections that they did. No, we see oftentimes that Abraham sinned and, and at many times lacked faith in God. And it's all on display. But why is it that he didn't give up in the midst of it? Was it because God was just so richly blessing him? Was it because God was making him healthy, wealthy, and wise? No, that's not what we read at all. In fact, again, Hebrews 11, verse 9 says, He went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Yes, the Lord finally brought him to the promised land, but he didn't own any of it. In fact, none of the patriarchs did. That's why it says they lived in tents, because none of it was their own. They couldn't put down roots. They couldn't put down a foundation. In fact, Abraham had to buy a little burial spot to, to bury his wife when she passed away, and that is all that he owns. And so why would Abraham do all of this? Why would he journey, never seemingly receiving that which was promised to him, living in tents, being a migrant, being an immigrant in a foreign land? Well, it tells us very plainly why he did this. It says in verse 10, because he was looking forward. Abraham was looking forward. He wasn't looking back at what he left. He wasn't looking to the things of this earth to say, what is the things that I can gain? God, what is the things that you are going to give me here? No, he was looking forward. In other words, his eyes and his heart was not set on this land. His eyes and his heart were not set on the things of this earth. 
No, his eyes and his heart and his worship and his love was set on that which was yet to come. And what was yet to come? I'll tell you what was yet to come. Christ was yet to come. That's where he was looking. In fact, Jesus has this beautiful verse when he's, he's talking to the Pharisees. And in fact, he's, he's rebuking the Pharisees because they have the Messiah right in front of them. And yet they do not believe. And yet he says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he could see my day. And then he goes on to say, and he saw it, and he was glad. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. What does he mean that, what does Jesus mean that he saw it? He saw it by faith. In other words, he was looking forward. He was looking past the things of this earth, the stuff of this world, and he was looking to that which was yet to come. He was looking to Christ. And don't you love that little phrase? He saw it and was glad. Abraham was glad. That thought brought a smile to the face of Abraham. It's that which kept him going. Let me ask you this morning, does it do the same thing for you? As you think about all that you have to endure, all the difficulties of this life, the things that the Lord has called you to do and how you must faithfully and obediently follow after him. Are you willing to endure all things for the sake of Christ and do so happily and even joyfully? Does the thought of Christ bring a smile to your face? It should, and doubly so than that of Abraham. Why? Because we believe in faith in the full knowledge of Christ. Abraham had to just see forward with just a glimpse of who this Christ would be. We look back with the full knowledge of who Christ is. What a glory, what a joy that this knowledge of Christ, this relationship starts here below. And if we have it now, how much greater in the days to come. Because I tell you this, my friends, the bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. If you look forward to your wedding, or if you are looking forward to your wedding day, how much greater should you look forward to this wedding day? Because when it comes, as Samuel Rutherford so rightly puts it, the bride will not eye her garments, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on the King of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hands. Why? Because the Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. That is why Abraham could dwell in tents. He was looking forward to a greater glory than anything of this earth. And my friends, that is why we hold to things of this earth so loosely. If you have gained Christ, then you have gained everything. We're not citizens of this land. This land isn't our ultimate home. No, we are looking forward to, as Abraham was, looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and founder is God. That is the eternal home. 
In two weeks, we'll see even how that is laid out before us, how that is set before us as this city that will come down, that that is the dwelling place, that is the homeland that we are ultimately seeking. But the author of Hebrews will later on say that all all these men and women that he speaks of in Hebrews chapter 11, he will say, of whom the world was not worthy. And the world was not worthy because nothing in this world was worthy of what they had in the Lord. In other words, they would not trade that which was yet to come for that which was here. What they had in the promised Christ and the promised Messiah was far greater than anything this earth could afford. And that's why Jesus could say, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. As we come to the table this morning, I want you to come with a smile. I know that may be difficult for us as Presbyterians to do. We might need to exercise those muscles a little bit. Yes, we come with soberness because of our sin. Yes, we come because of reverence of the God we approach, but more so we come with joy because our sins are done away with, because they are buried with Christ in the grave. As you come, you come to partake of Christ, and Christ comes to partake with you, and he brings this union that only he can provide and that only he can give. That is far greater far greater than anything in this world. Let me close with this wonderful hymn. Isaac Watts puts it so well as he often does. He says, the hill of Zion yields a thousand sacred sweets before we reach the heavenly fields or walk the golden streets. So therefore let our song abound and every tear be dry because we're marching through Emmanuel's ground to fairer worlds on high. As we come this morning, let us come and partake of one of these thousand sacred sweets that Christ gives to us as the church. Let us receive it. Let us be blessed. Let us come with joy and thanksgiving in our